You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solar A Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello and welcome to this episode of Energy Insiders. This is episode 28 of 2018 and joining me this week is David Leach. As usual, David, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Giles, and what an extraordinary week it's been. My goodness, it's ki- and it keeps on turning. I think it's going to be more extraordinary in the next week as well. God, we've had um, we've had major solar plant announcements. We've had all the stuff with the neg and the politics. Um, God, and, and we've had um, major announcements this weekend, which we'll get into. Absolutely, and, and uh, you know, Giles, I think we need to be careful not to use quite so many acronyms. Uh, I've had some. I've, I've had a couple of. Uh, my friends recently uh, tell me that we use too many acronyms, so we'll try and explain them. But if you were to ask me why, I'd say it's because there's so much bureaucracy creeping into it. You know, it's uh, when you've got uh, uh, the AMC, the Australian Electricity Market Commission, the AR, the Australian Electricity Regulator, the AEMO, the Australian Electricity Market Operator. That was a fair lot. It took me years to work out what the AMC and all that lot actually did. Uh, I think they're still trying to work it out. And now, and now we've got another one uh, poking their nose into it, the ACCC, uh, the Australian Competition and Consumer something or other, uh, and they think they know more about electricity than everyone else and they're going to be the price setter. Well, they are. It's going to be really interesting. Look, we've got a few things to talk about that. Look, one of the things that they came up with, look, the ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, that is competition comes before consumer or whatever. Anyway, um, they came out with this report. It wasn't a bad report a few weeks ago, um, just sort of pointing out just how badly everyone was being screwed left, right and centre by prices, network generation and retail. We have mentioned that before. One of the things that they wanted to do, and they're banging on it again last week, was about abolishing solar rebates. And they, Rod Sims, the chairman, took it to the National Party and the Liberal Party saying, look, I've made 56 recommendations, and I know you guys like this one about underwriting new generation, but you've got to take the whole lot as one, and that includes abolishing ESRES. And Origin put their hand up and said, yeah, we think that's a good idea when they came out with their results from Thursday. But lo and hold, Victoria have gone, well, <laughs> they've gone completely the other way, and they've announced on Sunday a program to provide even bigger rebates, 50% of the upfront cost for a four kilowatt system capped at $2,225 or something like that. And from July 1st next year, presumably they get elected, re-elected, they'll be providing um, zero interest loans. So basically zero upfront cost for a four kilowatt system. They're thinking about, uh, they're hoping to aim for 360,000 homes. That's 2.6 gigawatts of rooftop solar to be installed over the next decade. Um, pretty interesting stuff. Well, in, indeed it is. Is there an election in Victoria in the near future by any chance? <laughs> Funny you should mention that. Funny you should mention that, David. Um, that, that's, that's, that's exactly right, yes, yes. And, so um, uh, my comment would be that I, I don't... Um, I think it's great to have more solar, uh, and I think the AEMO made clear that their modelling that they've done so far, and I laugh a bit every time I hear modelling these days, um, suggests that a world with more solar and batteries, more distributed generation in other words, 
is, is going to be a cheaper world for Australians than, than the other alternatives. So to that extent, I think it's a, a choice that uh, having, that's a policy that supports what the modelling is showing. That said, one, I don't think electorates respond particularly well to um, gifts, if I can put it that way, in general. Uh, and two, uh, I'm not sure that it wouldn't have been better to use the money to speed up the introduction of batteries, particularly in Victoria, which isn't a particularly high solar state. Right? Yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah, well, that's what the South Australian Labor government had proposed to do before um, its state election earlier this year, talked about the $100 million plan with Tesla to do exactly that. Now, the they ended up not winning that election. The Liberals got in and they're still thinking about what to do with that idea and their own plan for 40,000 batteries. But look, um, we did get Lily D'Ambrosio. Unfortunately, she couldn't join our podcast because of some technical issues. Um, she was out and about and unable to sit in front of a laptop. So I did get on the phone. This is what she had to say. This is um, Victoria Energy Minister Lily D'Ambrosio. Lily D'Ambrosio, Energy Minister for Victoria, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Big announcement on Sunday uh, today, the $1.2 billion in funds, 360,000 homes to have uh, four kilowatts of solar. That's 2.6 gigawatts of rooftop solar you hope to install through this scheme over the next 10 years. Why? Well, we know that Victorians, uh, and frankly, right across the country, have been doing it very tough when it comes to uh, rising energy bills. And uh, let's face it, Giles, uh, the energy companies, uh, the retailers, uh, have not really uh, been doing the right thing by uh, consumers. Uh, and uh, we know uh, that uh, Victorians are really wanting to take control of their energy costs. The best way to do that is to actually give them a generator on their roof. Uh, and what not only will that give them an ownership of uh, panels, uh, on their roof, but importantly, it'll give them uh, from day one savings on their energy bills and, of course, uh, clean energy. And we know that the transition to uh, low emissions uh, energy is vital for our future. Our government is absolutely committed to reaching a net zero target emissions uh, by 2050. And, of course, we've got uh, very, very ambitious renewable energy targets. So we don't want to just be building large renewable energy projects. We want to make sure that uh, families uh, can actually have uh, a solar generator on their roof. Rod Sims, the chairman of the ACCC, has recommended in his report that um, upfront rebates actually be abolished, but you're actually talking about increasing them, at least at state level. Um, what's, what's the difference here? Why not let the market um, evolve in its natural state? Well, Giles, we know what happens when you simply allow uh, the privatised energy market to evolve in, as you put it, its natural state. Uh, consumers lose out. Uh, when Jeff Kennett, uh, the Liberals, uh, privatised all of Victoria's energy assets, they told Victorians that it was going to lead to lower prices, that it was going to be good for consumers. Today, I don't think anyone actually believes that that's been uh, the result. Uh, in fact, we have seen in the last week alone uh, the three major gentailers uh, post record profits, uh, significant profits, doubled, tripling of profits. Uh, and whilst at the same time, 
Victorians' energy bills keep going up and up. Something has to change. Uh, and that's why the Premier and myself this morning were absolutely delighted uh, to effectively launch uh, the most, the, well, the boldest uh, renewable energy uh, plan for families uh, that has been seen in this country. Uh, we do this unashamedly because we've got to tilt fairness back in favour of families. Well, it sort of sounds very much like the democratisation of energy. Um, this is a government in intervention, no doubt about that. But rather than building a new coal-fired power station or a new power station of any sort, um, you're actually talking about individual things going on people's roofs um, and to deliver that cost rebate then. That, that's, that seems to be the, un the, under the underlying theme, thesis of this. Well, absolutely. Um, we uh, unashamedly uh, say uh, that uh, Victorian families should not bear the brunt of a market that is not working. Uh, it's certainly not working in their favour. Uh, and 650,000 homes uh, in Victoria uh, will have uh, solar panel units installed on their roofs uh, during the life of this program, a 10-year program, a $1.24 billion program, which will only be delivered, of course, by a Labor government uh, and, of course, a re-elected Labor government. Going further down the track, um, do you see this evolving to encourage battery storage as well? And also, do you see any special mechanisms for low-income households or particularly for renters, for instance? Mm. Well, this is a very important point, of course, because uh, as we can see, the transition uh, to uh, low emissions uh, energy uh, is also a transition to a far more complex and integrated uh, system of generating energy, uh, sending energy uh, or, or sharing energy and certainly uh, lowering costs. Uh, we know that a distributed energy system has to be robust. Uh, we need to encourage interconnectedness. We need to be able to encourage sharing. That's why we're keeping our solar feeding tariffs because we know and, we, and, and Victoria has, uh, the, is the only jurisdiction that has um, a, a feeding tariff structure that actually encourages uh, the, uh, the uh, export, if you like, of uh, energy during critical peak periods of the summer uh, when sharing energy actually helps to reduce the pressures on the system, the supply system, and actually, of course, helps to keep wholesale prices as low as possible. So certainly what we are also requiring uh, through the program that we've announced today is that um, as soon as possible, um, once we've got all of the, we've bedded down the program because we want to make sure that we have rigorous safety standards in place, uh, that we will also at some point very early on uh, in the uh, launch of the program, a requirement for those solar panels, those systems to actually have smart inverters. Now, this is important, Giles. Uh, you know uh, yourself why this is important, uh, but for all of the listeners, having smart inverted technology uh, uh, linked to this program is vital so that the Australian energy market operator has visibility, uh, greater visibility uh, of the uh, these micro generators on people's roofs, 650,000 roofs, so that we, when they're planning for system security in the longer term, they're planning for critical peak periods, they understand exactly how much energy generation actually exists right across our state so that they can make the right decisions in the most efficient way possible 
uh, at lowest cost possible to all consumers, not just for those consumers who've got solar panels on their roofs. Of course, having smart inverters uh, uh, does uh, also uh, help to facilitate uh, the deployment of battery storage technology, uh, which of course is something that will have a really uh, a much larger role to play in the transition of our energy system, not just at large scale, uh, at medium scale, but also at small scale. So we're planning for the future and we've got to, of course, uh, take the right decisions now to allow for us to plan for the future so that we can actually have those new technologies, those complementary technologies uh, coming into the system uh, once, of course, we've got more and more Victorians uh, having that you know cheaper power delivered through to their homes so that they can be freed up uh, to be able to spend money uh, in 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 better ways for them other than lining the, the pockets of very very wealthy uh, energy retailers in particular who are making a lot of money right now. Now I know you're pressed for time, but I just have two other questions on slightly different subjects. The VRET, the auction, the 650 megawatt auction, um, that must be the results of that must be coming up very soon. Hmm. Oh, sorry, Giles, if I may. I know. Sorry, I've just remember you talked about um, uh, those that uh, may not own their own home. Now, those who are living in social housing or, or public housing, uh, not-for-profit community housing providers will also be eligible to apply for the rebates on behalf of their tenants, and that's something that uh, will be accommodated uh, in this program. Now, uh, sorry, just on the VRET, um, now uh, I think your question was about VRET 1, is that correct? Well, the auction, that 650 yep. megawatt option, which I presume is going to be announced before you go into caretaker, caretaker uh, mode, which must be six weeks away or eight weeks away. That, that Absolutely. Uh, and look, uh, I, I think I've said this before, that we're absolutely delighted uh, with the uh, bids that have come in uh, for assessment. Um, uh, there's fantastic value for money uh, that's been uh, uh, shown to exist by virtue of the fact that our government is absolutely given uh, such strong confidence to the the market, to the industry, to actually invest in this state. Not only have we got the legislated targets, we've actually created uh, a contract for difference hybrid uh, scheme, a, a reverse auction one that has actually been very, very welcomed by industry. And the proof of that is in the calibre of the applications that have come in, the submissions, but also uh, the, the the value of the megawatt, the capacity uh, to be built that has come forward. We are ver we are not far away at all from announcing the successful uh, bidders, uh, and certainly they will be announced um, this side of uh, caretaker period. But we're absolutely delighted with this first round of our V Red auctions, which just shows you, Giles, how how the market actually responds when you've got a government that has got a very clear policy, one that favours renewables and uh, and gives the confidence to the market that we are absolutely a good place to invest. And exactly that's what's coming forward right now. The investment dollars that are flowing to our state are very, very significant. The jobs are very, very significant. And there are benefits right across our economy uh, for households, for families, for businesses, uh, for the sector itself to get more generation built uh, to actually put downward pressure on wholesale prices as we move and transition quite concertedly uh, to a, a sustainable energy future 
one that is a low-cost one also. So there are benefits right across our economy in the way that we've we've approached our V-rate scheme. Let's finish off with, with, with federal policy because there's a lot of criticism about federal policy about not moving anything forward. Indeed, the modelling for the National Energy Guarantee proposes no new um, investment pretty much over the whole of the next decade. Now, as we're recording this interview, it's um, late on Sunday. We're not really too sure where the NEG is going to be landing. We've heard of all these different changes. Um, what do you make of all these changes that have been talked about in the media? I don't think they've actually been properly announced. And where does this leave you as the states? Because you've got to give the final approval is for the... For, for the mechanism of the NAG, NAG. Mm. Where, where do you see this landing? Well, Giles, I mean, uh, never before has so much effort been put into a scheme that has uh, resulted in so little uh, prospectivity. With all due respect to Winston Churchill. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, uh, he came up with a few good turns of phrases. But uh, anyway, but uh, look, I mean, we, we, we've said from the beginning uh, we want uh, a settlement of a national energy policy that has very clear link to the need to decarbonise our energy system. Um, now, uh, whether this will work uh, really has always come down to whether or not Malcolm Turnbull and Josh Frydenberg can actually deliver their party room, but not just their party room, but their uh, their numbers uh, on the floor of a parliament. Now, uh, what is the NEG today uh, is different to what the NEG was yesterday and different yet again uh, to what it was a, a week ago when the jurisdictions sat around the uh, COAG Energy Council table. So, um, look, we don't know where it's going to end up, uh, the it is very much in the hands of uh, the Prime Minister and the Federal Minister for Energy. Uh, I do despair for our country uh, that we, you know, it looks like we're going through uh, a very, uh, uh, very, uh, uh, we're going through another very testy period where it is very unclear yet again whether or not there's going to be a positive outcome and a positive move forward. Now, uh, as I've said uh, to Minister Frydenberg, Victoria's going to remain at the negotiating table, uh, but really the ball is in their court. Uh, what is it that they're going to be deliver, delivering through their parliament, uh, sorry, sorry, through their party room and on the floor of the parliament? What will actually be the neg uh, when it actually gets introduced in the federal parliament? We don't know the answer to that. Uh, I suspect that uh, if the federal government is not confident of being able to deliver at least its own numbers on the floor of Parliament, it may actually be yet some time before we actually see uh, their final uh, draft legislation actually be introduced into the Federal Parliament. One thing, absolutely, uh, we are not going to allow anything, any uh, neg, whatever it looks like, uh, whatever its iteration is in the 10th or the 15th iteration or the 20th iteration, we're not going to sign up to anything that is going to undermine uh, the confidence in our renewable energy uh, investment in Victoria, our renewable energy targets, uh, the billions of dollars in investment that will flow into our state and our, our ambition in terms of the growth of renewable energy and reaching net uh, zero emissions uh, in terms of carbon by 2050. Uh, we're going to continue doing what we're doing in Victoria. Uh, we will carefully consider any uh, variations or uh, of a theme uh, for the NEG that may come uh, back to us at some later point, uh, but very much 
the future of all of this is in the hands of the federal government and the federal government alone, as it stands right now, in terms of whether or not uh, the NEG uh, actually makes its way into the federal parliament. Lily D'Ambrosia, thanks for joining us. I think we'll just leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much. Thank you, Giles. And so that's uh, Lily D'Ambrosio, the Victorian Energy Minister. Um, I guess the p- interesting point there she makes towards the end, um, David, is that um, despite the fact that solar may be cheap enough for some people to think it's economic under the you know, strict economic terms, paybacks within four, five or six years or whatever, her point was that not many people are buying it because they don't seem to have the spare cash, so they're basically going to force it into the system by offering to no um, down payment. So um, that's an interesting one. And um, the VRET will also have to come out before they go into caretaker mode too, so that's got to be in the next four weeks. Yes, well, we're certainly looking forward, and I think a lot of uh, people are in the industry are looking forward to seeing the VRET, both who gets the... Uh, uh, the tender or who the winners and also the prices that are paid that's that's clearly a big deal and um, I think you know uh, someone has to pay f- for all of this solar one way or another that's all I will point out yeah 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 well it's gonna be interesting with the VREP because as you pointed out to me um, last week and I never got time to write anything about it um, the mob is it Infratil though who are taking tilt back private again um just yes Infratil one on, on the on the possibility that they may have to fund the Dundonald wind farm should they win that um, win part of that tender and um, they figure out it's best to do it as a private thing well that's right certainly you've got to, I, I guess you have to show it's um, that you've got the capital in place Let's keep moving, Giles. We've got quite a bit. I, I'm sure reader, listeners want to hear even more about politics and the NEG. Yes, well, look, just before we get to politics on the NEG, well, the other other thing is, okay, let's go there. Let's go there. Look, the big thing is, two big things have happened over the weekend. Um, one is this idea that, and it's come from both Labor and Liberal Party, they're both going to introduce this idea of having caps, um, reducing um, the standing offers, so that people um, will pay less money. But there's a funny thing about this, you know, because this is sort of referred to as the loyalty tax. And basically, most of the people's discounts that they've gotten over the last couple of years have only been funded by the fact that some of the standing offers are so high. So the people who don't move stay there and don't and, and, and don't change um, supplies and they pay an awful lot of money. And the profits they get from that have basically been able to fund all the discounts. Now, the theory is that if you lower the dis- lower that standing order, as both Labor and Liberal plan to do, then all the retailers will do is actually reduce the size of the discount. So some people might pay less, but a lot more people may pay more. Look, the the fact is prices, there used to be price caps. Price caps in New South Wales were only removed two or three years ago. And in fact, the first state to remove uh, household price caps was Victoria, which moved from heavy-handed to light-handed regulation uh, because they thought the market was working efficiently enough at that time. There are are lots of things wrong with the idea of price caps. The first one is that regulator actually knows what the right price should be. Uh, I'm extremely sceptical that someone sitting in an office actually can determine what the right price is. Uh, Secondly, uh, if you have one level of prices, that's the retail prices fixed, but wholesale prices are moving around, then you run the risk of an Enron type situation that we had in America about 10 or 15 years ago um, where, where companies or buyers of electricity are terribly exposed if something goes, you know, let's say a big generator break, breaks and it's going to be out of action for a year uh, and, and, and your prices are fixed, you know, and you can't change them because you've got the ACCC sitting around there working out what, what they should have been about three years ago. 
Uh, and the third thing is, it stifles competition. When prices were regulated in New South Wales, what we found is there weren't many new entrants coming in because they couldn't see enough headroom. All of these small retailers, to some extent, depend on the big retailers overcharging, in their view, so that they can try and pick up some market share. That's really interesting, actually. And um, I've got to say, some other analysts share exactly that same view. Um, so what to do, David? Just leave it alone. But um, such is the politics of the world that um, they're not going to. Well, it moves us on to this, what I think is going to happen with all the neg negotiation. Uh, it's very... Oh, pray tell. <laughs> and, and, and the neg we should point out is an acronym for the National Energy Guarantee. Thank you very much, uh, Giles. Um, the, the, uh, I find myself agreeing with Tony Abbott on a couple of things, and that this is, you know, which makes me go and look in the mirror and... Uh, Tony Abbott is an acronym for climate denier and uh, technology troglodyte. <laughs> but his first point was that the modelling around the neg wasn't all that good and we've, we've been there. His second point is he doesn't like seeing policy made on the run. And I, I do think that one of the criticisms about the neg is that we only took a year to develop it. But <laughs> apparently it only takes 24, 24 hours to change it completely. And as you know, the, uh, every, all of our listeners know, the big sticking point has been the level of ambition, that is how much emissions reduction we should be aiming for in Australia. And what I think has been proposed now is that it can be changed by regulation, but we have to disclose what the impact is going to be on electricity price. And so the first thing is, should there be a link between emissions redu reduction and electricity price. I mean, I don't think it's right to assume that emissions reduction is, is, should always be costless. In fact, I think it's a miracle, a complete gift to the system that the cost of wind and solar has come down so much over the past five or six or 10 years that we can even talk about decarbonising the system without increasing prices much. What do you think, Giles? Well, I'd be interested to this idea that um, uh, Rod Sims of all people should be sort of you know the arbiter of how much it would cost to sort of meet a certain emissions target. I certainly hope that if a higher emissions target for the electricity sector is proposed, that while he is counting the cost on one side, he's probably or he is also counting the cost saved on the other side by not trying to seek those emissions, those emission reductions in either the transport, the manufacturing, or particularly the agricultural area. And this is one of my main problems with some of these regulators. They're very very good. At counting costs but they're not very good at counting alternative costs or benefits so um, it's interesting and look I'm not even too sure it's actually going to end up as regulation um, because I know it was supposed to be legislation and then they flipped to regulation well the latest talk is that it might go back to regulation um, so who knows where is it going to end up I just think they're just trying to work out it, it, it's just become a matter of political survival. I mean, we, we, we half joked last week about Peter Dutton emerging as Prime Minister, and gosh, pick up the paper on Friday, and there he is as being touted as the senior alternative. So, really, this whole thing has just been cast in the, um, in the shape of political survival rather than good energy policy. Since the National Energy Guarantee was first proposed, I and I think many others from Danny Price onwards have seen it as a basically purely political thing. It's got next to nothing to do with electricity policy. <laughs> <laughs> we just happen to be the whipping boys, our industry, uh, um, uh, for, for a fight between two sections of the Liberal Party and then on the other side you've got Labor being attacked by, uh, by the Greens. Um, as far as certainty goes of policy, uh, 
a, a, an emissions target that can be changed by regulation doesn't give much certainty. I don't know how much certainty you're really entitled to in business. When, when, when you go out and uh, buy petrol, there's no certainty that your, the oil price will be the same tomorrow as it was yesterday. And in fact, we know that doesn't often doesn't happen. But when it can be changed by regulation, it really doesn't <laughs> give you any help at all. But I do agree with Shane Rattenbury from the ACT's proposal that if you are going to have it, that it can only ratchet the target upwards, not downwards. Um, it, it, you, you must be able to have some basis around climate policy to plan. And I think any rational person would have to plan on the economy having less carbon in 10 and 20 years than it has now. All we're really uh, talking about, in my opinion, uh, is the speed uh, that we decarbonise and the costs of decarbonising quickly and the costs of not decarbonising quickly. Absolutely, yes. And anyone thought it would be a crazy idea to actually um, um, reduce the emissions target and otherwise go backwards, we'll just think what happened to the renewable energy target back in 2014. Um, that's exactly what happened. Look, another part of this element in the big political debates happening around this Rod Sims idea for this new generation is underwriting of new capacity from year five to 15. Um, now, a lot of the people in the Liberal Party and the Nationals are thinking, well, this is a green light for a new coal fund. Um, I'm not too sure if anyone's really trying to disabuse of them of that because that could have to be framed in such a way, in such an extraordinary way. But it was really interesting to see Sanjeev Gupta put his hand up. Um, he came, he had a ceremony at Wyala, basically a groundbreaking ceremony for the first of his one gigawatt solar and storage projects in South Australia. This is the 280 megawatt solar farm at Kaltana to be followed by stage two of that solar farm a uh, even bigger Tesla big battery plus some pumped hydro and probably more solar and then even more solar around the country if all goes well well we did an interview with him the following day and he talked about that um, that uh, potential for an auction the government underwriting he said well look if that happens then we get a underwriting for a certain period that lowers the cost of our finance that brings it down towards government financing transaction costs that will enable us to match some of the prices you're now seeing in the middle East and Africa over time and there you're talking about the mid-20s in the cost of solar and about $50 solar and firming and he didn't th seem to think he'll have any trouble winning that auction at all so quite interesting. It is quite interesting but I mean who says we need a, an auction for firming I mean I, I don't know what, Rod, what planet Rod Sims is living on you know I mean where's his study of how much electricity capacity is actually needed over the next 10 years has he even read the ISP report from AEMO? I, I mean, what, 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 what on earth does he actually know about the topic to be making these kind of proposals to the government? And, and certainly, um, depending on how it's how it's framed, it could be that a firmed renewables project could win that, and and that's terrific. But I'm not even I'm far from convinced. I don't see anything in the cap prices, for instance, that really suggests that right now we need a lot more firming capacity. Uh, so that's my well. That's exactly well. That's exactly right. And there's absolutely no way he did re read the ISP beforehand. That's the integrated system plan, um, the, um, because it wasn't published before he pr produced his report. And um, the interesting thing about the integrated system plan, which is a very detailed model of where we go to in the future with a high level of renewables, including a level of 100% in effectively in South Australia within about 10 years, um, if not earlier, is that it, a lot of it's about demand management. A lot of it's about uh, network infrastructure, which you've been banging on for a long time. 
time about. Um, and very little to do with new dispatchable capacity. But their modelling shows that reliability is, is the um, target is actually achieved every year. That's a, that's a condition of the modelling. To be quite honest, Giles, I think Rod Sims has grossly exceeded his brief in that ACCC report with some of those proposals, grossly exceeded his brief. It's not his job to be planning uh, the electricity system and, and, and um, uh, socialising electricity prices, whether you, that's, not a, that's an adjective, not a, not, a, not a good or a bad adjective, it's a factual kind of adjective. And just on the topic of while we're talking about those new projects, as well as Mr Gupta's, it was great to see CWP, uh, one of our big renewable developers, uh, getting uh, a 200 getting uh, a 200 megawatt uh, solar farm in New England. That's prices. right. Yes, yes. But Barnaby Joyce will be absolutely delighted to see another big solar um, farm appearing in his electorate, and um, along with some more battery storage. And uh, while we're on the topic of new um, solar farms, the Sun Metals one was um, opened last week too, and that's worth noting because it was quite brow- groundbreaking. This is the first solar farm to be built by a major industrial user. It was by the Korean company, the zinc refiners up there, Sun Metals, and it'll be used to lower their costs, to lock in their costs, and also to help underpin the expansion of their zinc refinery. Um, I can't emphasize that too much. This is solar lowering their costs and helping under, underpin a $300 million expansion, which means more jobs and more business and more GDP for the country. So um, there you go. And Giles, it's great to see how many of these projects are, are getting batteries around the place. I mean, from a few years ago, it's almost like solar, where people said batteries would never make sense, but we're seeing more and more of uh, investors in these projects actually putting their own batteries in. But just before we've uh, tidy up... Can, can I just... I'm going to interrupt you there just with that batteries too because it, it, because I did forget the Lake Bonnie Wind Farm, Infigen actually put it, um, is making a two, 20, it's going to install a 25 megawatt, 52 megawatt hour battery next to the Lake Bonnie Wind Farm. It gets 5 million out of, um, oh, was it $38 million project? It gets 5 million from Arena, but the rest it's funding itself. And it actually looks pretty close to being sort of reasonably financial right from the get-go um, just because of all the curtailment that's happening at the wind farm and the other uses they can use the battery from so that's a pretty interesting development too go ahead sorry so uh, that's a segue now a segue uh, is an acronym for an electronic device of moving from one topic to another <laughs> um, uh, into what's happening overseas because I do think the big point that is going to come out of these neg negotiations is the cost of decarbonising the economy. That is the really important point that is really serious that we need to think about. And it's instructive to look overseas, which I've been trying to do this week, but, but it, not so much in Europe, or, but into the United States and to look at California, which has uh, 30% renewables now and has an electricity price as average this year at the wholesale level, queso, of $35 US a megawatt hour. And we can look at Texas, which has a US, uh, uh, which has 20% renewables, mostly wind, and it ha- its uh, electricity price average for this year is, is under $30 a megawatt hour. So I guess they've got cheap gas in both of those states, but they're both economies that are have electricity consumption equal to the national electricity market, the NIM, and and they are showing that it can be done uh, in, in a cost-effective way. Yes, look, I've heard almost relentlessly, but on you know, on the in, in the Murdoch media on Talkback Radio, and heaven forbid, even the ABC over the last week about. Um, about countries with high renewable shares always have the most expensive prices. Well, there's a couple of things to say about that. 
often those countries have turned to renewables because they've had high prices in the first place. Two, it is true to say that those countries with high renewables actually have very low wholesale prices now because of that. With high renewables actually have very low wholesale prices now because of that, as you Germany and of Denmark. The reason why they've got high retail prices is because they actually load a whole bunch of other government taxes onto the electricity market because they just see that as a way of earning revenue. So, and as we wrote um, to Giles two years ago, uh, in terms of reliability, and you have to be fair, Denmark really should be seen as part of Scandinavia, not on its own, but uh, everyone else twists the data. So Denmark has um, the most reliable electricity supply, one of them in the whole world, and also one of the highest renewable shares. So, so. Interesting stuff. Now, um, we have to, well, look, and this coming week, um, David, it's going to be more party meetings, um, more announcements this week. Um, we'll see where we're going to land on the neg. I don't think we're going to actually find out what the answer of the neg is um, for another six weeks, but um, God help us where it does land. Um, in, in, in the Let meantime, me ask you, Giles, with this revised proposal for the neg, and I'm asking you to speculate here, not what you want to happen, but what you think actually will happen. Do you think Labor in federal parliament will support the revised proposal or not? I don't think they're going to get an opportunity to support it or reject it because I actually think, um, as I mentioned last week, I think that the tide is turning against Malcolm Turnbull and I think even having a challenge of some sort, even if Dutton doesn't have the numbers, I think there's going to be terminal for him and I think if that happens, there's not going to be any proposal for any sort of energy policy at all and we'll be going to an election very quickly. My goodness me, you're, you're, um, that's, a, that's a different view. I, I don't hold quite the same view. And I actually hope that if Turnbull comes up with a policy which does allow the neg to be changed only upwards and in a, uh, the, the, the ambition to be changed up, only upwards and reasonably easily done, uh, then uh, I hope Labor ends up supporting it rather than embarrassing him just for the political point scoring um, purposes. Okay. If he does, if he manages to do that, and he manages to get through the party and keep his job, then I think Labor probably will embrace that. I don't think he's going to get that far, though. <laughs> well, I th but what do we know? We're just we're just energy commentators. We know nothing about politics, but there you go. But and politics know nothing about energy, but they never stop them. <laughs> Quite so. There you go. David, look, it's been a good chat today. Um, thank you very much. And uh, we'll speak at the same time next week. And um, thanks for everybody out there for listening. And uh, goodbye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Solar Ray Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Wattwatchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use.